And I said, I can sit here and complain and, and cast stones, right, to use a, a Christian analogy. Um, but somehow she is now a family, a household name impacting the world. And here I am complaining about her, believing that I have the knowledge and the, the wisdom of Christ that I can pursue. I have the truth on my side, and yet I'm doing nothing about it. It was like this gauntlet that was thrown down for me where I said, all right, I think these are my skills. I think this is what I've always been passionate about. So why not? What is stopping me from doing this? And that's kind of what, what brought me to, to get involved in, in politics and in the U.S. House. I, that's, that's really <laughs> where I am now, running hard. Welcome to Along the Way. I'm John Matarazzo, your host and fellow traveler. Thank you for joining me along my way as I try to become more like Jesus every day. Because the election is getting closer, I wanted to update my episode with congressional candidate Luke Negron. Since I first put out this episode, I have met Luke in person a few times and have even had the opportunity to have him on my TV show, Hope Today. In the show notes for this episode, I will link to his interview on Hope Today, as well as the video of his debate with congressional incumbent Mike Doyle. As I drive around my area now, I am seeing more and more signs supporting Luke Negron. In this episode, he and I talk about his journey into the world of the military, public service, and now politics. You are going to enjoy our conversation and how Luke has come to his own convictions. I'll get to our conversation in just a moment, but I want to thank you for listening to Along the Way. I hope that you like what you hear and you subscribe. You can connect with me online as well. All of my socials and contact links are in the show notes. You can check out all of my episodes at my website, alongtheway.media. There's an easy way to join my email list and find out more about me too. I hope that you check it out and you connect with me. I would love to hear from you. I also have a Patreon page if you want to help me to continue to put out these Along the Way episodes. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter, simply go to patreon.com slash along the way and select a level. The link to become a Patreon supporter is also in my show notes. And now here's my Along the Way conversation with Luke Negron. Well, Luke, it is great to have you on Along the Way. You and I just met on social media recently. You know, we're in the political season right now, and I don't like to talk about politics so much in the open, you know, especially because this is a very divisive time. But I felt like this is a very important conversation that we need to have because I was literally just praying that God would connect me with somebody that is trying to make a difference in my general area, in my area of Pittsburgh. Then I almost randomly was led to <laughs> a, a post that had you and you're running to represent Pennsylvania 18. And so, uh, Luke Negron, it's great to have you on along the way. I want to hear your story because from what I've seen on your social media, it's really, really interesting how God has led you to where you are right now. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, just hearing, you know, hearing that, uh, that take on someone hoping to find other people who are trying to make a difference, um, specifically a Christian brother who's hoping to find other like-minded individuals. I mean, like that is, <laughs> that is the message that I have right now is I want to come to other young people, other Christians and other seekers, other thinkers and seekers and say, you're not alone. You can do something about what's going on in the world because we see a lot of negativity going on in the world. And that's a bipartisan opinion. It's like, no matter mm -hmm. where people are coming from, they agree there's a lot of problems. And so maybe we can all start talking to fix them. That's a nice starting point with anybody who we're having a conversation with. And then I just kind of touch on really in your intro, you mentioned that this kind of balance of we all are kind of trigger shy about politics, myself right. included. Um, and one of the opinions I have formed, though, is that modern politics, I would say in the last two decades or so, have become increasingly intimate and personal. And they've kind of crossed this bridge to where politics are not what we used to think of them. When we used to say like, hey, let's keep politics out of the church. Mm -hmm. It was like, let's not debate about tax codes in the church. Let's not de debate right. about progressive tax or, or, you know, that in the church. But now we see topics like abortion and sexual identity and things like this kind of blurring the line between what is religious and moral and what is political. And I think that's why uh, ultimately maybe why we're having this conversation, because those two worlds are really combining right now. So uh, I think that's just kind of an interesting way to, to think about where we are today and the decisions we make. 
Yeah, for sure. So, Luke, you're you're 27 and you're running mm-hmm. up against a guy that has been in Congress pretty much your whole life. That's right. So, <laughs> That's right. Okay, you, you've had some time in the military as well, or you're still in the military. Um, That's right, yes. Tell me how God has led you, number one, with your faith with him. And tell, I want to hear about your family. I want to hear how God has led you into the military, into your faith with him. And how did politics be some, become something that you really want to be known for? Yeah. All right, so let's go back to the beginning for me. So 27 years ago, um, I, was, I was born into a family— that uh, is a, a Christian family. I, I was raised to pursue Christ and, and to pursue his call in my life. But my parents also, uh, I think, did a very good job of balancing the reality that while that is what they wanted for me, it would always ultimately be my choice and the choice of, of me and my siblings. I'm one of five kids. Hmm. Um, and so that's kind of the, the overview of the family structure I grew up in. Um, my, my brother, brother-in-law, sister-in-law are all also in the military, just as I am. So grew up in a military family. Um, my dad is in law enforcement. Um, and that is kind of what, what brought me to have this combination of national security interests as well as the religious side. Now, then once I got to be uh, eight years old, that is when um, September 11th happened. That was 9-11 for me. Uh, so I, I actually, I remember it quite well. I, I was old enough to take in what was happening. And I was old enough to understand what was happening, but young enough to feel absolutely outclassed and terrified by what was happening. Mm. Like, I, I couldn't process. I saw Americans dying. I saw attacks on our soil. And I remember curling up in my, my family bathroom thinking, are we next? You know, what's happening? Yeah. And I tell everybody that story because that is truly where my life went from prior to that being solely about childish things to after that, as an eight-year-old in the post-9-11 world, I was thinking about things like global warfare and who's our leader and global competing religions. And mm-hmm. all of these things that today would tie into the political discussion were shoved into my life in one day. Wow. And from that point on, I always cared about politics and social leadership. I was you know, involved in, in debate training and things like that in high school. Um, and then I went to Grove City College, which is out here in, in Western PA, and studied political science, national security, and communications because it was still a passion of mine. And I always saw myself going into either a national security role or a political role, a leadership role there kind of being an influencer for my generation and for for the country and then the world. That's what I wanted to do. And once I graduated college, I joined the Air Force. Uh, Most of my family are are officers. I I enlisted, so I I was the the scrub among them. (laughs) And uh, it's all love, though. And now I, after uh, going on four years now with with the Air Force, with the PA Air Guard, now I thought it was time for me to get involved. I had done some work behind the scenes with politics, um, with with, uh, grassroots organizations Mm -hmm. and local borough governments. Now I saw a need for Washington outsiders and non-career politicians to kind of step up and be the neighbors, the citizen leaders that we need to understand us today. Because I think there's a very bipartisan agreement that we're tired of kind of the elites who don't know us. They've been in power for decades. Uh, what you ask your standard Democrat or Republican, are you happy with your party's establishment leadership? And they tend to say no. They tend to say, yeah. I feel like those people don't understand me. I feel like they, they've kind of sold out. They forgot about us. And I saw that maybe it's time for some of us to step in and, and do something about it. Yeah. So was running for office the first thing that you were thinking about whenever you decided that you were going to do something about it? I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, you're trying to get into Washington, D.C. for your first right. real election. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'll tell you, um, in an odd way, someone who I disagree with largely was an inspiration to me, or you could say a hmm. challenge to me. And that is AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, someone I personally did not see eye to eye with on on many of her policies, but I found myself sitting around a kitchen table with friends and or family and complaining about her and Mm -hmm. saying this, you know, isn't this so foolish? Isn't this so wrong that she's doing? And then I realized this, this girl, this woman, young woman is in my age group. She just turned 30. She, she was, I believe she entered office at the age of 28. And I said, I can sit here and complain and and cast stones, right, to Mm -hmm. use a a Christian analogy. Um, But somehow she is now a family, a household name 
impacting the world. And here I am complaining about her, believing that I have the knowledge and the, the wisdom of Christ that I can pursue. I have the truth on my side, and yet I'm doing nothing about it. Mm. It was like this gauntlet that was thrown down for me where I said, all right, I think these are my skills. I think this is what I've always been passionate about. So why not? What is stopping me from doing this? And that's kind of what, what brought me to, to get involved in, in politics and in the U.S. House. I, that's, that's really <laughs> where I am now, running hard. Yeah. So how do you you're running a campaign while you're still in the air guard? Yeah. How are you doing all that? Yeah, uh, it's a balance. It definitely is a balance. And uh, one of the beautiful things about the guard and the reserves that I would tell anyone who's looking at getting into the military is you can uh, you can join them and have all of the opportunities that you would have in active duty, but have a little bit more independence. So you have the ability to, uh, to use layman's terms to cut back your hours. Um, so I was on um, active orders for the 18 months leading up to 2020. So back reaching into 2019 and into 2018, I was on active orders traveling in Texas, Southern California, uh, PA, uh, all over PA. Um, now I'm able to, to kind of cut back those hours. And we actually have several sitting uh, congressional reps who are also still in the guard uh, mm-hmm. most famously, Tulsi Gabbard, who, who ran for, um, for president, um, yeah. is in the Hawaii Guard. And it's just a really nice thing that we're able to, to I, I still go and do several days every month. I actually, because of COVID-19 and some other complications, sure. got called up for a longer set of orders last month, which was unfortunate because it meant I had to step away from politics. You can't publicly campaign while on orders. Right, um, right. But, uh, but it's good. It's a great life. Um, I, I love the military, and I think that some of what I've learned through being on that side of reality enables me to to speak to the modern issues that we see today and the needs that we that we see. Yeah. So tell me about your your family. Where where did you grow up? Yeah. Was Pittsburgh always your home? No, no. So my family's kind of spread out. I mean, for the last two decades, because of the military thing, they've been all over uh, Texas, California, Washington State. Um, uh, Delaware, New Jersey. I was born in Delaware. I was homeschooled in New Jersey. Um, and then my adult life since the age of 19 has been in, in Western PA. That's kind of been my hub. Mm-hmm. But then I've gone around, as I said, Texas, California for Air Force orders. People ask me, like, where are you from? And I say, pick your poison. I, I mean, it, it, if you want a, a recent answer where I was born, where I grew up, uh, they're all different. Um, but I love that. I love that I've been able to travel and experience the the United States, the needs of citizens in the United States, and the culture that that we all share. But then also what's different here versus there. So that's that's how I grew up. Like I said, I was homeschooled and homeschooled through high school. Actually, went went to community college part time. Went to a, a small kind of like a homeschool private school part time, mm-hmm. um, and then applied to to Grove City College. And ended up uh, going there, which was one of the best decisions I've ever made. So what did you study there? Political science, uh, national security and communications. And, and those were really just are very those are my what you're doing now. <laughs> yeah, it, kind of kind of well-rounded as far as they, they all fit together for the social and political um, aspirational leadership type of type of field. You know, you want to be a good communicator. You want to understand the needs of national security. And of course, you want to understand the, the history and the establishment that goes into the political science realm. And I, I would actually say from a spiritual uh, standpoint, though, my journey was through high school and most of college. I was very confident in, I'd say, self-confident in perhaps a bit of an unhealthy manner in my spirituality and in my knowledge of the Christian faith. And I felt like um, as a high school student and a college student, I felt as though I could debate most people and and win, right, uh, about right. my faith, about why I believe what I believe. And then in my senior year of college, I realized that I probably had stored up a little bit of arrogance in my heart about how stable I was and how righteous I was um, when I went through something where I physically thought I might be dying, I, I went through a, a physical scare where I was in and out of doctor's offices and I would go to bed every night with all of a sudden thoughts of death, of meeting God on the other side and thoughts of a difficult life. What if this is the rest of my life in and out of hospitals as a, you know, what some might call like a cripple, you know, an, an, mm-hmm. an invalid, a needy person? What if this is me? 
And I wasn't okay with that. I wasn't at peace with either of those options, with death or with a hard life. And I started realizing, I think I convinced myself that I am stronger than I am. I'm stronger physically, stronger spiritually, stronger mentally. And there were nights when I would feel fine physically, but spiritually and mentally, I was so scared and so so um, unsure that I, I would just stay up for days on end. I'd lay awake all night thinking and crying. And, and this is when I was uh, 23 years old. Hmm. And I realized I had focused largely on, on some aspects of the knowledge of Christianity, but I had turned a blind eye to some of the relationship of Christianity, yeah. to some of the relationship between me and Christ, some of the, the trust that, that needs to be built up between those two individuals, between you and your God. And that brought me to a time of research, uh, research of world religions, why I believe what I believe, um, a time of, uh, of prayer and Bible study, relying on my brothers and sisters. And that really brought me to be stronger and more public and more bold than, than ever, more decided on making my life matter and on being at peace with every day that I spend as a Christian and as a man on earth. So that kind of brought me to the mindset that I carry today. Yeah. So would you say that that's really how your relationship with the Lord became your own? Yeah, for sure. So, it, and that, that's exactly right. And I would say before that, I, I trusted in God on a surface level and I believed in God, but I hadn't, um, I hadn't deepened it. And I hadn't embraced it as, as my end all be all at, at, you know, when I wake up in the morning, it's my purpose. And when I go to bed at night, it's my comfort. That's when it became those things for me. And I don't want to make it sound as though I've, I've arrived. I would actually argue that anyone who says that they've arrived is misguided or arrogant or both. Absolutely. Um, I haven't arrived. It's still a daily choice. And maybe that's part of the lesson I learned is that I kind of thought you decide to be a believer in Christ, and then you educate yourself, and then that's it. Like, then you kind of coast through life. Like, that's it. You, you made that decision. That's who you are. It's done. But what I came to realize is I really think it's more of a day-to-day, moment-to-moment decision. And that, that's part of perhaps why I didn't have that comfort, because I wasn't prepared to make those moment-to-moment decisions. I felt like, I made this decision. Why am I not good? Why am I not okay inside? Then I realized, okay, I actually need to build this relationship every day, just as I would with my, my friends or my family. So that's kind of the way I think about it now. That's good. I mean, you know, the things that we face in life really can make or break us. And as you read the Bible, or at least as I read the Bible, you know, nobody's life was perfect. Nobody's life went out like the plan that they had. One of my favorite characters (laughs) is Joseph in in Genesis Mm. and how, Mm. He had this dream that his brother's sheaves of wheat bowed to his and his, the stars and the, the sun and the moon bowed to his star. And, yeah. um, you know, God was showing him glimpses of what his future actually would be, but there was not a straight path there at all. There was not a direct way there. In fact, there was more down than there was up and right. being sold into slavery, being thrown into the the pit, being falsely accused of rape and all these different things, being forgotten in prison. And then all of a sudden he's in that place that God showed him a long time ago. But Mm. if we didn't have that journey along the way, he wouldn't have been prepared for the thing that God really has called him for. You know, all those things he is equipping us with along the way, even though it's painful and it stinks and Mm -hmm. it's, it hurts those things in our past really help us achieve what God wants us to do in the future. Exactly. And, and being able to be at peace with that process is, is such a gift because in the moment, it's not easy to be at peace with, with the process when it gets difficult. And, and that's, I love the example of Joseph because I mean, he, he went through it before he found his, his moment, before he found his moment of, of, of arrival. And that, that's kind of one of my big beliefs is that it is the mundane day-to-day routine choices that make us the men and women who we are in the big moments. So we hear about, you know, one of my heroes, George Washington. We hear about George Washington, you know, leading the country, founding the country, being an amazing man of God. But what we don't hear about are, are the quiet moments he probably had around his kitchen table with his mom and dad, or, or, or the, the times when, when he just needed to think things through on his own, to go take a walk, to go take a hike. Those daily things that we don't hear about God knows about, 
Mm-hmm. And God can use what, what we wake up with every day, what we think of as an ordinary day to build us as, as steps, as these little building blocks, because you don't just arrive at a big moment. You don't just arrive at greatness. And I think it, that is worth remembering in the days that seem meaningless. Because so, sometimes a day does seem meaningless. You think like, what did I do today? I got up, I, I fed myself, I went to work, and then I went to sleep to, to do it again. You know, I had a few surface level conversations, and, but it doesn't have to be like that. You can, you can invest in every moment and I try to do that. I don't always do that, but I try. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, investing in every moment is really important. You know, until you were talking about that, I wasn't thinking about uh, George mm. Washington having dinner with his family. I wasn't yeah. thinking about yeah. him having, uh, you know, just everyday life. I mean, we, we look yeah. at these people in American history or just history in general, and you look at the big moments and you don't think about those mundane, everyday moments. Exactly. So, Luke, I, I want to hear about your mundane moments a little bit like, <laughs> ha, not not to not to be boring or anything but like yeah what is some of your daily routine things that you do that help keep you focused on the thing that god has called for you oh that that's a great word to use because it's one i struggle with which is focus um i i get distracted easily i'm i'm a little bit uh a little bit hyper and and uh, i maybe uh, i'm like a fish that bites off on, on every piece of lore that that comes in front of his face you know so I, I struggle with focus um, and something that I used to struggle with that I have made a very focused effort to fix is a stick to a determination uh, follow through, kind of that follow through swing because I, I love to start things. I love to bite off on things and then sometimes I don't finish them. And that's something that I had to work on fixing. So one of the things that helped me to fix that is realizing again in college that your reputation matters. And if you start building a reputation as someone who doesn't follow through, as someone who's not reliable, that is going to follow you through life. And it's going to ruin some opportunities and it's going to threaten some relationships. So the reputation you build matters, not just in college, but I'd say in life. Um, That was a big moment of realization for me that there were some things in my life that were, I wouldn't even say they were morally wrong. They were just unwise, like my lack of reliability. And I realized, okay, so I'm not building the reputation I want. How do I fix that? And I had to get on the road to actively fix that. It actually made me very angry because I felt like in my heart, I was like, no, I'm, I'm a reliable person. Yeah, I care about my friends. And people were saying like, you know, after the 10th friend comes up to you and tells you, look, man, like it, your, your reputation is, is this you start to realize maybe it's not them that's wrong. Maybe it's me that's wrong. So listening to other people, building your reputation, but then the the mundane for me, um, as far as patterns go, you know, I was raised in a family where we would, as much as possible, we would do um, daily Bible studies together. We'd pray together. Um, I think that's one of the most powerful things that anyone can do with your relationships, uh, familial, romantic, friendship, anything, praying together and being willing to have deeper conversations. I'm not a big fan of small talk. I've had people who I just met, you know, say like, man, you you really kind of start prying right away. Like you dive into some of the, you'll start asking about like relationships and fears and stuff. And my answer is always something along the lines of look, like I, I like sports and I like the weather and stuff, but like, let's be honest. If we're talking about sports teams and the weather, you're not going to remember me and I'm not going to remember you. Mm. And we've kind of wasted our time. I'd rather dive into the deeper things. And so that's, I guess, another part of the the mundane for me is putting forward an effort daily to find the deeper things, to dare to put yourself out there and to encourage other people to put themselves out there. And then uh, the last thing I'd say is, you know, every morning I I like to listen to the Bible on audiobook. It's the, the easiest way for me to connect with it. I like reading, but reading takes up a lot of time. And because I'm kind of hyper, sometimes I struggle to focus on just reading. So uh, audiobook for me is, is a good way forward. For some people who like reading, I, I'd say go for that. But putting uh, just a, a little check in place for yourself where you're saying, am I taking time to learn more about the ultimate meaning behind life? And I believe that for, for me, that is that is in the Bible. And if someone disagrees, you know, I, I love having conversations about why they disagree. So and again, right. though, reading your Bible enables you to have those conversations. So it's kind of like this 
this circle that builds on itself. Absolutely. You know, Luke, I do the exact same thing. I use, nice. <laughs> I use the Bible app on my phone me too. <laughs> and I read along while it is being read to me. And so, yeah. you know, the Bible says that yeah. faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm reading it, I'm hearing it, I'm trying to get it in to me as best way that I can. But to be completely yeah. honest, I do it in the early morning when, as soon as I wake up, cause I want that to be the first thing, but to be completely yeah. honest, there are times that I do fall back to sleep and <laughs> I, I have to replay it. And I, I did that yes. this morning actually, but it is a great way to stay focused. And I, yeah. I love this little, this little dialogue that we were having about focus. And mm-hmm. you mentioned something about your reputation. Okay. Mm-hmm. And building a reputation is a lot harder than destroying a reputation. Ooh, and yes. so you said that you, once that was brought to your attention, that your reputation was not what you thought it was, mm. what advice would you give to people, advice that you've received, advice that you would you know, just apply right now to develop their reputation? Because right now, America's reputation is in shambles in a lot of cases. Yes. We've yes. got history's reputation is in shambles, and people are trying to rewrite things. Now, we as Christians mm. have the opportunity to rewrite our future, really, but mm. align yes. with what God wants us to do. So you went through that process and got your reputation back in line to where it's supposed to be, to the point where you feel like, I can actually represent a couple hundred thousand people in mm-hmm. Washington, D.C., Tell me about that process in your life and what advice would you give to somebody that wants to take those steps too? I think the the first word that comes to mind for me is accountability. Accountability and maybe I would tack on loyal accountability. So find the people who have nothing to gain from pleasing you and nothing to gain from lying to you and invest in them and listen to them and work with them. Allow them to keep you accountable. And the way that you find those people is who has proven it to you in the past. And, and I believe, you know, if some people might say, well, I don't have anyone like that. Like, I literally don't have anyone like that. And I feel that, that that is a real problem. In the online culture we have, there are a lot of fake people. There are a lot of um, disloyal people. And it's very easy to feel alone. Um, but I would say, you know, pray about it and go seeking those people and seek those people while you are offering to be that person to someone else. You're not looking to gain something from them. You're not looking to, um, to lie to them. You're just trying to be there to do life together because that is the best way for Christians. And I'd also, I would actually say for humans to, to exist. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so accountability, loyalty and accountability. Um, and, and, you know, beyond that, I guess I think of um, a quote that my dad shared with me years ago, which is that character is who you are when no one is looking and your reputation is who other people think that you are and what you want in life is for those two to match up. Mm. So, so you, you need to first, the first step there would be analyze your character. Who am I when nobody is looking? Who do I choose to be? Am I a kind person? Am I an impatient person? Am I a greedy person or, or a giving person? Um, and then you work on those things because it's easy to be real with yourself. You know, <laughs> there are some questions that are very easy for me to say, look, in public, I might be able to debate my way out of this one. But at the end of the day, I'll tell you one for me, I'm a very impatient person. I have like, like, I'm usually a happy go lucky guy. But when something grinds on my patience, I have an anger problem. And I'm very impatient. And it's easy for me to acknowledge that. So then you say, Okay, so that's my character, I need to work on that. I want my character to be different than that. I want to be a patient, a long suffering, a kind person. And then you work on the reputation because the reputation follows that. Um, it follows what you build in your private life. And then that just becomes what, what kind of pours out of you. I, that's kind of the, the message of the Bible is right from, uh, I think it's from the, the overflow of the heart, right? That the spirit speaks or, or something along those lines, mm-hmm. but it's, it's this overflow of who you are. You fill up who you are, you decide who you are and you don't let yourself be dragged around based on who's in the room with you, based on uh, the norms of the time. Because if you've decided who you are and you know yourself and you know yourself between you and God, then everything else becomes secondary. Um, and that's, again, that's a daily choice. That, that's something that, that I am working on and that I encourage other people to work on. Make those conscious decisions. Don't just slide around based on the external environment that you're in. That's really good advice, Luke. As you were talking, I was just reminded of a conversation that I had with actually a girl that I met through a dating app. And we started nice. talking about... Um, 
just about politics a little bit, and mm-hmm. which is always a little bit touchy whenever you're starting <laughs> yes. to get to know yes. somebody. But <laughs> she asked, well, how do you, you know, how do you decide some of these things? And so I, I just stepped back and I, I thought for a second, I said, well, you need to articulate what it is that you believe. What, what is your personal platform before you line up with anything else? You look at your personal platform about what do I, these issues that are going on in the world right now, what do I think about these things and how do I look at those? And then yeah. the next step is look at the Bible. What does the Bible say about these things and how do those two things line up? Because if our personal beliefs don't line up with what the word of God says, then we've got our first issue. Right. And, and Amen. Then, yeah. Once you once you come to those beliefs and those that your personal platform, then you can start to look at party platforms. And I know you went through that process in your life, trying to develop what your platform is, what you're going to try to do to represent the people from PA 18. How did you come to this process and how did you make these decisions about mm. what you're going to stand for? Yeah, so the the two things that fit together for me there would be God's word and logic. And I believe that they fit together very well because I believe that God is a logical God. I believe that the logic that we have, the reason that we have, it comes from him. It doesn't exist in a vacuum. Um, I believe that our reason and our logic are godly attributes that we have from the person whose image we are created in. So, So God's word always has a logical reason behind it. We don't always get to know that. Sometimes there are things that we don't get to answer, but we can trust that there are. And I would say the majority of the time, we do ultimately get to see the logic behind it. And so so that's really where I come to my beliefs politically and socially. And another belief I have that corresponds with that, though, especially in American society, is that I, as a Christian, want to hold myself to a standard of being able to logically reason through my beliefs with somebody who is not a Christian. That's good. I guess another way to say this would be, if I'm talking to an atheist or a Buddhist, I don't think it would be fair for me to use the Bible as an authority because they don't recognize that authority. So Mm -hmm. so if they say like, Luke, why do you think that abortion is wrong? And I say, well, because the Bible says so that's not a good argument. That's actually a very poor argument. And it makes me look silly. And it makes my people, my church, my community, body of Christ look very silly because I'm, I'm appealing to something that they have said, I don't recognize that. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's real. So what I have to be able to do then is come to that second part that I talked about, which is the logic. I have to be able to logically, medically, historically, factually be able to reason through why I believe what I believe. Because again, I don't believe that Christianity is anti-logic. I don't believe that Christianity is anti-reason. And if I hold that opinion, I better be able to have the conversation with someone without referencing my holy book. Because I I wouldn't, if if a Buddhist told me about their holy writings and said that I should recognize them as the authority, my answer is no. My answer Mm -hmm. is give me a better reason because I don't recognize that authority. And that's a fair argument to make. So that's kind of, that's where I come from. But then I guess the the asterisk I put there is that when I'm talking to brothers and sisters in Christ, I can, and absolutely, I would say should um, appeal to the authority that we both claim to adhere to. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so that those are the two different groups, right? Like secular or Christian religious. And if you're talking to a brother in Christ, I think Paul would even say, look, we are supposed to judge each other. Like we are supposed to hold each other to these standards. Um, we're not supposed to hold the world to these standards. And, and so that, that is kind of how I'd navigate those two different conversations in social life, political life, moral mm-hmm. life, any of those things. For sure. So as you're working on your platform, and I've seen your website, you've got so many different areas. How did you come to those decisions on how you're going to say, this is mm-hmm. where I'm drawing the line. This is what I will stand for. Yeah. Yeah. I guess um, some of it is just, I would pay attention to what I saw as, um, as needs today, as topics that needed to be discussed and addressed. So, you know, uh, abortion or, or um, taxation or uh, internet pornography is one I'm very passionate about because I was personally affected by that. I was mm-hmm. exposed to pornography at a young age and it led to struggles and thoughts and temptations in my adult life that, that no kid should have to be exposed to without, without knowing what they're being exposed to. Um, so, so those things, um, 
that's just one example of how these things that we experience through life and then that we see other people experiencing, you know, we hear these, these vehement debates about illegal immigration or something, they can tip us off to, okay, this is an important topic today. So as a politician, I should address it. Um, so that's what made me address it in the first place. But then where do I find my standard for how I address it? Mm-hmm. I would agree with, with what you said, which is biblically, I would look at my beliefs. I'd kind of think through like, okay, what do I think about this? Then I'd maybe listen to some other uh, opinions, some who agree, some who disagree, say, okay, what, what do I find as the problem with this viewpoint? What do I find as the strength of this viewpoint? And then at the end of the day, my question is, can I reconcile this with my status as a, a co-heir with Christ, as a follower uh, of God? And if I can't reconcile it, then, then I come back to square one and I'd say, I have a problem. Um, mm-hmm. but, but I believe that all of mine are in line with what a Christian can and should do and believe. So does that kind of, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it it leads me to my next question very well. Oftentimes in the internet world and, um, you know, Christians are often known for, you don't do this, don't do that, don't, you Mm. can't do this, you, uh, thou shall not, you know, (laughs) um, we're, we're more known for what we're against than what we're for in a lot of cases, but there is a lot of things that we are for that are just being misrepresented and, and it, if we can reclaim that narrative and say, no, we might be against this thing, but this is what we're for. Uh, yes. Could you just speak about what, you know, being in, in a divisive world, being for something versus against something? Yeah. Yeah. So I think this, this brings another quote and, and I wish I knew who I could uh, credit this quote to, but it's that it's not enough to stand against something. You have to stand for something too. So standing against something is just complaining. It's just like, it's just being a heckler. You know, you're just saying like, that guy is doing a terrible job. And it's like, okay, you're against him. I mean, great. What's the solution though? What are you standing for? Like, so his job is terrible. What could you do it better? And if so, how, how could he do his job better? So that's, uh, that's, I think the need is, yeah, I think whether you're a Christian or a conservative or a liberal, we have, I would say there's been a lot of standing against, but not standing for um, so the need there is we need a path forward. We, we need a solution, right? Like, um, uh, we, we can all agree that our country is sick or that, that there is a, a need for healing, but then we, that's only half of the battle. So now we need to find what a healthy country looks like. And Ravi Zacharias, who the, the late mm-hmm. great apologist, um, he speaks about this, about how the difficulty with politics and religion is that in the medical sphere, if you come in with a broken bone, we can all agree that something's wrong. And then on top of that, we all agree on what a healthy body looks like. I have a broken femur. Okay, a healthy femur looks like this. It's straight. It's approximately a foot and a half long, whatever, in an adult male. That's a healthy femur. But he's saying in politics and in religion, we can all agree that we're sick. We can all agree that we've got a broken bone. But we don't all agree on what a healthy body looks like. What does a healthy political environment look like? If you ask a conservative and a liberal that, you'll get two different answers. If you ask a Christian and an atheist that, you'll get two different answers. Um, So that's where the difficulty comes in. Um, And and I guess what I believe is that that we as Christians uh, have found the truth and can share that with other people. And then we can apply that to specific instances. So, So to being for freedom, to being um, for the freedom of uh, a, a baby to be born, right? I, I am pro-life. I am, I am uh, pro-adoption. I am pro-parenting. Um, uh, the only thing I'm against is what I would consider state-sponsored murder, w- which is abortion, right? I'm um, mm-hmm. speaking a- about things I'm for. I am pro-legal, lawful immigration. I, I, my family is, every single one of my grandparents are immigrants. My, my brother-in-law is an immigrant. So, so the, these are things that, that I care about, um, and I, I am just against abusing the system, against right. those people being abused. Yeah, talk more about that. I mean, you, I know a little bit about your heritage from some of the things that you yeah. talked about, but by the mix of cultures that you are, you can actually represent a lot of people. So yeah. tell me yeah. about your family and some of that, because oftentimes, you know, I'm, I'm a white male, and mm-hmm. my family comes from... Italy, Ireland, and Germany. And, mm. you know, they came over <laughs> late 1800s, early 1900s. 
and you know they they worked hard you know they yeah. never owned they never owned slaves they, yeah. they you know none of this stuff right you know identity politics is such a divisive thing right now and mm. it's it's so uh frustrating but god is used the united states as a molding as a melting pot and uh, yes. you're you're a great example of that tell me about your your family's melting pot yeah for sure so yeah identity politics really it seeks to put us all in boxes right hey white guy black guy hispanic guy asian guy put them in the box lock them away we know how they're going to act because they're part of this group i think that's so wrong i think that is mm -hmm. ultimately racist um so what what i stand for is what my my family background is which is a beautiful mixture of free people um, creating their lives together under, but it's not diversity for diversity's sake. It's diversity under a shared purpose and shared belief. Mm. So we see this in the military. We see this in religion. Um, when I walk into a military unit and I see a black guy, a Hispanic guy, and a white guy, and I know that they've got each other's back, they have the same beliefs. They're there for the same reason to defend their families, their neighborhoods, their flag, their country. Um, then color doesn't matter. Ethnicity doesn't matter because we're here with a shared value. So it's diverse, but it's right. diverse and unified under a shared value. What we miss today is a lot of people love diversity, but they don't love the shared value part. You need mm. the shared value. Otherwise, diversity just segments people up. It just breaks exactly. you into segmented boxes. Um, in churches, similarly, you walk in, you see a congregation of mixed ethnicities, and they're all praising the same God. It's beautiful. Absolutely. So it's diverse, but it's unified. That's how my family is. Um, the three largest people groups in my family are, are white, Hispanic, and black. Um, and uh, my mom is from uh, Northern Europe, from a, a little country called Estonia. Um, and my, my dad is, is the mutt. He's mixed um, primarily Hispanic and black, Iberian Peninsula, North Africa. He's got a little bit of Islander in him. Um, and I think even, uh, I'm like 2% Jewish as, as well, or, or something like that. So he, he's kind of from his ancestors must've been nomadic or something like that. They're from yeah. all over the place. Um, but that is why for me, the cool thing that I'm able to do is to be accepted by a lot of these groups who do claim identity politics. So mm -hmm. I don't like identity politics, but if that's the reality I have to live in, then I'll say, fine. I can fit in with these groups and it's easy for me. And like I, I go to white people think I'm a tan white guy. Hispanics think I'm a Hispanic guy. Black people have called me light skin, you know, light skin, black. Like, and that's all fine by me because it's all from a certain point of view, as Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, it's all true. Like yeah. that, that's correct. You know, they're, they're all right. And, and that's fine. So if you want to play identity politics, fine. I will reach into your boxes I will come and understand as much as I can based on our shared experience and I will communicate with you and, and I'll, and uh, I'll, I'll do my best to build those bridges. Um, and that's just a blessing that, that I didn't choose. That was just mm -hmm. given to me based on my, my family background. So, yeah. And, and uh, when that comes to immigration, yeah, like you said, all my, my family immigrated here, I'm second generation American. Um, I love immigrants. I agree that America was built on immigration, but it was not built on people abusing our system and uh, and disrespecting our shared cultural values, which right. is what I see happening today. Right. You know, we, we've you've said this a lot right now. You know, shared cultural values, shared yeah. ideas, common ground is the, is that theme yeah. that that I, I I think we're we're talking about quite a bit. And really, to win any arguments, or not even to win an arguments, but just to have a real to accomplish something in a conversation finding that common ground, finding that place yeah. where you can, where you can agree, you can yes. then bring people together and, and, and then explain things and, and take the next steps with them so that you're not just being pulled apart. You got to find that middle ground first so that you yeah. can move forward. I think everybody's played tug of rope, uh, you know, <laughs> tug of rope. Uh, um, yeah. At, at some point in their lives and you know, yeah. you have, you have people going different directions and all of a sudden somebody lets go and everybody goes flying. <laughs> And that's not a good thing. We don't want that to happen into our into our world. But yes, I've, yes. I've, at some points, I've actually seen you know they put a third rope into that that tug of war thing. That's kind of awesome. <laughs> so you have three different groups going together, and it's interesting that you see, uh, you know, when people come together, if like the two would come together, then you oh could, yeah, you could defeat that one really easily. It's over. 
yeah. it's over. And you're saying that the rope would be culture, right? We, we don't we, we don't want to be pulling this culture in all different directions. Yeah. And then someone eventually lets it go and we all fall down. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a great analogy. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, our culture is in an upheaval right now. Statues are being mm-hmm. torn down and yes. our identity as Americans is being challenged and being chastened uh, in so many mm-hmm. different areas. And history is people are trying to rewrite history. And yeah, that is something that bothers me quite a bit because mm. I've read the book 1984. I know that those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And yeah, I, I don't want to idolize people that did things wrong. But if we say that they never existed, we're not going to learn mm-hmm. from them. Can right. you just speak about our national history and how we can reclaim that and get things back on the right track? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I think that the problem we see is, number one, we like to judge the past based on our modern standards, and that's not fair. Um, The the past norms, um, this doesn't make some of their sins okay. It doesn't make them uh, worth praising, but they lived in a different reality than we do, and we need to approach it from that understanding. Number two, I would say that we can learn from the past as long as we acknowledge it, we shouldn't disown it or wipe the slate clean because where do you draw the line, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Bill Clinton cheated on his wife. JFK cheated on his wife. You know, George Bush had his issues uh, with cocaine. Uh, are we going to go to every single imperfect man and woman from our past and wipe them out of existence? Because if we do, then we have no past. Then we're mm-hmm. eliminating everything. So um, what I'd say, and this is something that I I believe is a Christian and American shared belief. And it's this, every man and woman is created equal. Every culture is not equal. And again, Ravi Zacharias, Michael Ramston, some of the, the preachers and apologists, I love talk about this. Cultures are chosen. So I choose the culture I, I build. I choose the morality that I embrace my actions. And we can judge people's choices. We can judge people's actions. We cannot judge your your sex your ethnicity if you're you know i'm born a man or if you're born a woman you're born a white black hispanic we don't judge those because those are intrinsic if you're an atheist you would say that they're from nature if you're a christian you'd say they're from god either way you shouldn't be judged on them because they're not your choice they're the way that you were made the way that you were born but we can absolutely judge people based on their decisions and cultures based on their decisions. Today, there's this movement to say that all cultures are equal. And to which I say, wait a second, what about Nazis? Uh, like Nazis brought, brought um, blacks, uh, LGBTQ individuals and Jews and killed them. Um, what about cannibals? There, there are literally still cannibals alive today. There are places you will go and get eaten by your fellow man. Uh, are those cultures equal to ours? What about cultures that embrace slavery? Are you telling me that uh, America in the early 1800s when we embraced slavery was just as culturally good as we are today when we've outlawed it? No, all cultures are not equal because, and, and judge, people kind of conflate these. They say, if you're judging culture, you're racist or you're judging a person. No, no, no. We don't choose race. We choose culture. So cultures should be judged and are not equal. And America's got a great culture. I, I mean, American culture historically has fought to self-correct. It has fought for mm-hmm. what it says it stands for. It has not been perfect. But, um, you know, one of the questions I, I'd have for anyone who says, well, what about America's sins in the past? Yes, America's far from perfect. But name me another country where you had the elite ruling class fight the, the, their fellow elite ruling class for the benefit of the minorities. That is something that we saw happen in America. We had the, the ruling whites fight their fellow ruling whites for the benefit of people who are my ancestors, of, of, of minorities. Mm-hmm. Um, that's amazing. That's, so that doesn't make everything okay, but it does show you this country was willing to self-analyze. And it comes back to what we were talking about earlier, to know itself and to say, as a culture, as a country, where have we gone wrong and what can we do to course correct? That's amazing. That is exemplary. Yeah. And in world history, it's rare. It's exceptional. Absolutely. You know, Luke, I've been to 20 different countries, 15 of those as a missionary. Mm-hmm. And I've spent time in countries that I would not want to live in. Mm-hmm. Countries that were former communist, 
former socialist. Yeah. And I've just seen what that does to people. And I am grateful that God allowed me to be born in the United States of America. And as much as I love the people in other countries, my heart breaks for them too, because mm. I've seen mm. what those systems of, of government and what those systems of just culture that you mentioned yeah. uh, can do to people. And I am grateful that the United States has done its best to course correct. And yeah, there's things that we need to course correct in all the time. Yes. But to say that we are evil because we've needed that course correction, that's a problem. Because if mm -hmm. we're, we are trying to be a more perfect union, you know, yes. we're trying to grow and to develop that. And so I am grateful that we have this opportunity to talk and to find out more of your heart, uh, not just your heart for politics and your heart for this country, but your heart for the Lord as well. And I want to make sure that I ask you, Luke, you know, part of the along the way theme that I have, you know, I'm somebody that I want to learn from every experience for the people that God has brought into my path. I want to learn from them as well, because their experience is something that I can learn from. And hopefully I don't have to go through those same mistakes and mess ups and things like that. And that's what this podcast is about. I don't want to miss those moments where God's been walking with me. So Luke, yeah. what has happened in, in your life that has showed you that Jesus was walking with you, but you didn't realize it at the moment. But when you look back, you say, my heart was burning. I just wasn't aware. Mm. Mm. You know, for, for me, it's, it's kind of, I'd say the example that fits that closest is one where I was aware that my heart was burning, but I wasn't aware of the solution. Mm -hmm. And this goes back to when, when I, I was in my senior year of college, I had gone through the health scare and then the corresponding like dark night of the soul where the, the health questions raised deeper eternity-based questions for me. Mm. And I was going through a time when I didn't see a path forward. I, I had always kind of, uh, I'd always been very proud of my mental prowess and I felt lower than ever. I felt suicidal. I, I felt like, like um, I was broken and I mm -hmm. didn't know how to fix myself because I didn't even know that I was capable of being broken prior to that. Mm. And Jesus brought a community into my life a roommate into my life, a Christian roommate, and then random people. I'll tell two quick stories yeah. because they're very similar, easy to, to kind of lump together. I was out at a, uh, at a night service of a church and I was just praying, God, if you're real, I don't feel communicated with by you. Um, I don't feel like you're there for me. Um, you've got to give me something to hold on to. Um, and I, I was, uh, it was among the lowest moments of my life. And um, I wasn't praying this out loud. It was in my head. I was just at the church service. And this guy who I kind of like an acquaintance, I kind of knew him, but we weren't friends. You know, I knew his name. That was about it. Um, he came over. He sat with me right after I prayed this prayer. He put his arm around me and he prayed that God's assurance and confidence would be with me in that time. Hmm. I shot him a Facebook message after that. And I said, hey, man, I know we don't know each other, but like, I have to thank you for doing that because that's exactly what I needed. And he said, Luke, I felt awkward doing that. He said, hmm. I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to go sit with you, specifically embrace you, put my arm around you. And he said, and he said what I just told you. He was like, I know that we didn't really know each other. I felt odd. I felt like you might think it was weird or too, you know, too personal. But he was like, I, I just did it because I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me to. Um, and I was like, that is uncanny. You know, th that's more than uncanny. And then again, I had a similar instance again at a, a night service at a church. I was um, thinking and praying for the same purposes for reassurance from God. And this girl who I don't, uh, who I didn't know, who, whose name I, I couldn't tell you, you know, I never got to know her, mm. came up and prayed for the same thing for me, for God's assurance in my life. I wasn't praying out loud. I didn't tell her that that's what I wanted. She just, you know, tapped me on the shoulder from the pew behind me and said, can I pray with you? Hmm. And those two things, um, they, they were what I needed in the moment. Um, and they remind me of how, how we're taught to pray for our daily bread. Sometimes I think we want a lot more than our daily bread. Sometimes I would love if I was given my yearly bread today. And if <laughs> I was able to just see it all, you know, like I'm good. I've got all the emotional security, all the financial security. I know how this all shakes out. We're good. That's my yearly bread. But that's not what we're taught to pray for. Sometimes we're gifted that, but we're guaranteed that if we pray for our daily bread, that's what God loves. That's what he honors. 
and it was my daily bread. It was what I needed in the moment. So that, that's kind of, that's, those are the stories I'd, I'd give for that one. That's good. That's, that's, I love how God uses other people like that to speak into our lives. And yeah, nobody knew what was going on in your head except for yeah. you and him. And yeah. then God told that person, Luke just needs this word right now. Uh, yeah. Just to reassure him. And God does that all the time. We just need to be aware that it is him that's, that's doing that. It's not a random thing. God is purposeful. He is active in our lives today. And yeah. another question that I love to ask people, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself in the past, what advice would you give yourself and what's happening in that scene like that you would need to give yourself advice? Yeah, man. I think I would go probably to freshman year of college and I would encourage myself to be more bold in pretty much every way, uh, to, to be more bold in, in the way that I share my faith, to be more bold in the way that I dedicate myself to, to work that I kind of like put my hand to the plow. And that comes to what we spoke about in, in the way I build my reputation as, as a reliable hard worker, as, as someone who follows through when they say that they will do something. And to be more bold in relationships, to be more open with one of the things I did learn in freshman year was that I could talk to my mom and dad about things. Uh, in, in high school, I kind of, I was scared to have relationships uh, or talks about romantic relationships or to have talks about anything deeper. You know, I, I just, they were, they were the parent, they were the authority figures. Um, and then in freshman year of college, I learned that I could talk to them about things that type of boldness and openness in relationships, I wish I had taken to even more relationships, to friendships, to romance. And if I had, I think that life might have ended up being a lot easier and a lot less full of drama than it was at the time. So yeah, a, a boldness. And then also, um, it sounds contradictory, but a humility, um, a, a need for, for pursuing humility in the midst of being bold and in the midst of being open with people knowing that I am not better than anybody and that I should be less quick to write people off and more quick to ask simple questions like, can I pray for you? And mm -hmm. to relate to people. Those are some of the biggest things that I would probably talk to myself about. That's good. That's good. Luke, what's a, a life verse that means a lot to you? Like something that you can anchor to whenever yeah. the, the storms of life are upon you? This one's actually really easy. It's, it's been my favorite for a long time uh, from my favorite book of the Bible, or at least one of my favorites, <laughs> which is Ecclesiastes. I love Ecclesiastes because um, if you haven't read it, even if you're not a Christian, I'd say listening to this, check out Ecclesiastes because it is so earthy and human. It's uh, Solomon speaking about how he tried to experience life at its best, separate from God. And he talks about depression and he talks about fame and he talks about sex and he talks about money and he talks about seeking romance and seeking fulfillment and achievement. And he says, at the end of the day, every last thing that I achieved, I got and it wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. um, and in the end, Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen, he says, honor God and keep his commandments for this is a whole duty of all mankind. It, it's this really simple summary after this back and forth and this up and down, he's saying, I've tried everything. I yeah. opened myself to it all. You know, if in modern senses, he would be saying like, I, you know, I did the rock and roll. I did the drugs. I did the sex. I did the fame. And none of it made me happy. And at the end of the day, he comes back to what makes you fulfilled is to honor God and keep his commandments because that is why we're here. Um, and that can play out in different ways in your life. For me, I believe honoring God and keeping his commandments means getting involved in politics and social leadership. For someone else listening, that might mean pursuing their career as an acoustic guitarist or something. And that's fine. But as long as you're bringing it before him, that is your purpose in life. So that's, that's my, my go-to. That's really good. Do you have any books besides the Bible that have really been an influence in your life or even uh, speakers? I know you mentioned Ravi Zacharias, but um, yeah, what, what is, what are some of the other things that have impacted your life? Definitely. I'd say more than, more than books. I mean, I read and uh, especially now when I'm driving, I, I do a lot of driving and I'll pop on an audio book more than a specific book. I'd say speakers. Uh, yeah. Ravi's amazing. Michael Ramston is amazing in other man who has passed, Nabil Qureshi, who, who was a, mm -hmm. uh, in, uh, a follower of Islam 
and then converted to Christianity. Those three, Nabil, Ravi, uh, Ravi and, and Michael Ramson, amazing men of God who do a lot of what we talked about earlier, focusing on logic, focusing on reason. Um, and a, a fourth one I'd add, I'd add in actually is um, uh, Sean McDowell um, mm. and it, Josh McDowell's son. Very good writer, very good public speaker. He does something I love called the Atheist Challenge, where he goes into a room full of Christians, of usually Christian young people, and he pretends to be an atheist. He says, okay, you know, you all know I'm a Christian, but now, you know, he puts on glasses or a t-shirt and he says, now I'm an atheist. And I want to debate with you about why you should be an atheist too. And he demolishes these Christians. He, he shows them something that I needed to be shown. He did this to a class I was in how unstable you actually are in your beliefs, how much you actually need to know why you believe what you believe. Yeah. And his goal for doing that is not to ruin Christianity. It is to show you that you need to research and be uh, able to give, as Peter says, a reason for the hope that is within you. It's not enough to just say, ah, I have faith and that's good. You need to give a reason. So th those are some speakers that, that I really uh, I admire, I value. And I think it would be fair to say that in many ways that they saved my life. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I know as we're wrapping up here, I just want to say this. It is important to know what you believe and why you believe it, whether it be faith, whether it be politics, whatever it is. Don't just take somebody else's word for it. You know, yes. they used to say in the in uh, in Reading Rainbow, that TV show that I grew up on. Don't take uh -huh. my word for it. Go read it yourself. Yeah. So, Luke. As we're wrapping up here, I just want to give you an opportunity to speak to somebody that's listening that doesn't know you except for what they've just heard. Why should they think that Luke can represent them? Yeah, I think the practical reasons that, that come uh, without knowing my character, because I, I would argue that knowing my character would require extended exposure. You'd have to get to know me. Um, and you can do some of that online by looking at my videos. I'm very open about my opinions. The reason I put videos and, and those, um, those opinions that you referenced earlier on the website is because something that a lot of politicians do is they play to the room. So if, if the room that they're in is more pro-life, they'll act like they're more pro-life. If the room that they're in is more anti-immigration, then they'll act like they're anti-immigration. I don't want that to be suspected even of me. I want people to know, look, I put them out on online. Like you can go check them anytime. They're not changing. That's who I am. So that's one way you can get to know a little bit of my character. But then the practical way I'd say is um, I just ask a few questions. Like, do you feel represented, uh, whether you're in PA 18 or not, do you feel represented by the people who are supposed to be your local district representatives? The, the U.S. House used to be called the People's House because it was meant to be your neighbor's and your fellow citizens who lived life with you that made choices about your community. Now, I would argue that in a bipartisan way, we see a ruling class of elites. We see people who don't represent us. Um, I am, you know, I've been in the military. I've been in the private sector. I've worked in construction, in restaurants. Um, I, I know what we go through. I've been in academia in the 2000s. I've gone to college. I have student loans. These are all things that make me like you, that other politicians, and I'd say your standard career politician, they can't say those. They're elitists who have lived in their bubble. I think that's a problem. I think that they can't hope to address our needs if they don't know what we're going through and if they are intentionally separate from us. So that's what I would say. That's really my take on the needs that we have today and the problems that we face today as a big issue big yeah. all put together how do people find you on social media and your website i have quite a few social media so i'll to keep it simple i'll say they are all linked at the website so treat the website as your central platform negron2020.com that's negron2020.com uh there's facebook instagram twitter uh, all linked there uh so yeah negron2020.com awesome well, Luke, it has been a pleasure to spend some time with you and to hear your heart and to know why you're doing what you're doing to try to represent PA 18 and, you know, everybody else that, that you can represent. I just want to thank you right now for allowing me to join you along your way. Thank you. 
As Luke and I talked about his along the way journey and how he felt led to jump into the political arena, I'm inspired that young people like Luke have decided to turn their frustration into positive action. When I first found out about Luke and that he was campaigning to represent my district in Congress, the thing that I noticed first wasn't his platform, the things he believes, or the fancy words that he said. It is the mundane, day-to-day, routine choices that make us the men and women who we are in the big moments. I saw an Instagram story of him and others who are trying to make a difference in politics, cleaning up the streets of the city of Pittsburgh, my city. He wasn't campaigning at that moment in the post, but by his actions, he was serving our city. And that's what caught my attention. What actions can I do that will make a difference to my city, my street, and my neighbor? When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He gave the best answer. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Jesus is the best at bringing unity to a very diverse community. But it's not diversity for diversity's sake. It's diversity under a shared purpose and shared belief. How can we represent Jesus better to our world? I believe that we all want to make the world a better place. And by being faithful in the small things, God can trust us in the bigger things when the time is right. What makes you fulfilled is to honor God and keep his commandments because that is why we're here. Ask God for an idea on how you can make a difference and let's be obedient with that. Even if no one will ever see that you did it on social media, you never know who on earth is watching, but God always is. I'll be providing links to Luke's info and his website in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Along the Way. If you've enjoyed joining me along my way, please share this with a friend who you think will be encouraged by this podcast. Also, please rate and review Along the Way on iTunes. That helps more people discover Along the Way. And subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and through my brand new website, alongtheway.media. I hope that you've enjoyed this part of my journey. And may you realize when Jesus is walking with you along your way. Along the Way is honored to be part of the Charisma Podcast Network. You can find tons of spirit-filled content from their vast catalog of podcasts, including my Monday through Friday news stories from the Charisma News Podcast. Go to CPN Shows to find out the full list and latest episodes.